Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where I spend seven months helping you get really well established in the foundational teachings of Gautama Buddha on the path to enlightenment. We use this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment, which integrates the words of the Buddha along with words that I've shared in order to help you deeply understand the teachings, starting to learn those, reflect on those, and practice so that you can move the mind closer and closer to this enlightened mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, no longer experiencing any discontent feelings whatsoever. This journey to enlightenment really starts with the Four Noble Truths, establishing right view. The Buddha talks about the Four Noble Truths all throughout his teachings, and he describes it as a breakthrough, that when students deeply understand the Four Noble Truths and are able to then practice them, you're experiencing this breakthrough because in the Four Noble Truths, he explains to you what is discontentedness, the cause of discontentedness, the elimination of discontentedness, and the path forward to completely eliminating all discontentedness. With this understanding, a practitioner can more deeply establish right view, and then essentially what you'll understand is what's causing things like anger and sadness and frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, stress, anxiety, and all these other discontent feelings that the unenlightened mind experiences. You'll understand what causes those and how to actually eliminate them. So I'm very pleased that you've decided to join our class today. I'd like to welcome you, whether this is your first time joining or whether you've been here many other times. If you've even learned these Four Noble Truths with me or some other teacher at some point, it's really helpful to hear these Four Noble Truths multiple times and really help them to soak into the mind so that you can deeply practice the teachings. When I share these teachings with you, it's important that you don't believe anything that you hear me say. If you just believe what the Buddha is sharing or what I'm sharing or what you read in a book, you don't know whether it's true or false. And there the mind can be shaken up. This enlightened mind is steady, it's calm, it's stable. But with belief, the mind doesn't know what's true or false, so therefore it's easily able to be shaken up. So what you do whenever you're learning the teachings of the Buddha is you learn them intellectually with guidance of a teacher. And then you start reflecting on these teachings, starting to independently verify them. And then you start moving them into practice. And as you start practicing the teachings, this is where you start seeing the improvements to the condition of the mind. In discontentedness, all those feelings that I was just mentioning, like sadness and frustration and so forth, 
they start to gradually diminish. And as you start seeing that and observing that, that's how you know you're understanding the teachings because you're starting to practice them in such a way that it's starting to affect the condition of the mind in a positive way. The mind's moving from these strong feelings and strong emotions to these lesser versions of those emotions until eventually you get to the point where the mind has completely eliminated all discontentedness and the mind is actually enlightened. And this is a permanent mental state that the mind will not move out of that mental state for the rest of this life. And it's the Four Noble Truths that is the very first teaching of Gautama Buddha. When he awoke from enlightenment and he shared the teachings with his very first five students, he shared the Four Noble Truths because it's so important for you to understand. We call these the truths, and today you're going to be learning the three universal truths and the four noble truths. And we call them the truths because Gautama Buddha knew that they were truth. I know their truth, but in order for you to benefit from these teachings, you need to know their truth. And that's where you don't believe what's being shared. Instead, you do that learning, reflection, and practice, and there you acquire wisdom, and you will know the truth. And when you know the truth, and you've independently verified that, then that's where you can start making wiser decisions in the world. You've already been doing this with a number of things in your life, but you probably just haven't realized it. As you were growing up, you didn't understand the natural law of gravity, for example. You kept falling down, bumping your head, falling off your bicycle, bruising up your knees and your elbows and all these other things because you didn't know about this natural law of gravity. But slowly but surely, you started seeing the truth for yourself that whenever you lost your balance or you didn't tie your shoes or you tripped and fell or you put something that was really important to you in a place that wasn't so good that fell off and broke and then you were frustrated as a result of that and gradually slowly but surely you started gaining this wisdom about this natural law of gravity and then you started making wiser and wiser choices in the world and now you can exist in the world more peacefully well the same thing is true with all the buddha's teachings is that he teaches the natural laws of existence and these natural laws affect you whether you realize it or not just like gravity affected you even though you didn't know what it was when you were a young child but as you learn and understand and see the truth for yourself about these natural laws of existence then you'll make wiser and wiser choices so i'm going to start with sharing the three universal truths to help you understand what these truths are and then as we go through today's class I'm going to be pausing at different times in order to allow you to ask questions, but also I'm going to help you start to reflect on these teachings so that you can gradually start to understand them, not just intellectually, which is the learning, but you can start reflecting on them and independently verifying them. And then I will help you learn how to move these teachings into practice so that you can start benefiting from the wisdom of the Buddha. So as I go here, I'll just gradually walk through here. And if you have questions, you can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. And the moderators will see that and be sure your questions get asked during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. And that way you can get help and clarification on anything that you need help with. So this first universal truth out of the three universal truths. These are all building blocks to help you understand the four noble truths when we get to those. This universal truth of impermanence is helping you to understand that everything is constantly changing, that these conditioned objects are going to arise, they're gonna change, and they're gonna fade away. 
The Buddha never actually said everything is impermanent. He said all conditioned objects are impermanent. So things like material objects or possessions, relationships, thoughts, ideas, states of mind, all these different things are constantly changing. Here I say everything in the world is constantly changing. All these things that are in the world are constantly changing. What a conditioned object is, is it something that had to have been put together. So it arose, it changes, and it fades away. So this shirt that I'm wearing, it's a conditioned object. At one point, this shirt was cotton that was growing on a plant. And before that plant grew cotton, it was a seed. And before it was a seed, it was something else. So all these things, the sun, the water, the nutrients of the soil went into growing this seed. It grew this plant. It grew this cotton. This cotton went somewhere. They weaved it into this shirt. And now that it's a shirt, it has arisen as a shirt. But now it gets soiled. It wears out as I wash it more and more. It starts changing. And then at some point it will fade away. It will no longer exist as a shirt. So this is a conditioned object. And here, again, you're not going to believe what I'm sharing with you. You're not going to believe the universal truth of impermanence. But instead, now that I've shared it with you, that the Buddha is saying that all these conditioned objects are going to arise, they're going to change, and they're going to fade away, now you can start looking around in the world and start seeing if this is true or not, because these are the natural laws of existence. They exist everywhere around us, and this is why you can look in the world to determine whether it's true or not, rather than believing it. So you start looking around. You look at the physical body. Is this physical body that you currently inhabit, is it permanent? Has it been exactly the same your entire life, or has it been constantly changing? Have you gained weight? Have you lost weight? Have you gotten taller or shorter? Have you had injuries? Have you observed that the hair grows and then it, you have to cut it or the color of your hair is changing, the texture of the hair is changing? Have you had the same exact teeth your entire life or have you had multiple different types of teeth coming in and out, right? So these things are impermanent in terms of the physical body. Then you look around the things around you, your mobile phone, your car, your house, your clothing, your job, your salary. If you look at all these things closely, they've all arisen, they all change, and they all fade away. And this is a very fundamental teaching to understand. The universal truth of impermanence is a very first teaching to understand to help you understand the Four Noble Truths. The universal truth of discontentedness is explaining to you what the unenlightened mind is experiencing on a daily basis. The unenlightened mind is experiencing discontentedness. Some people refer to this as suffering, but I don't use that word and I'll explain to you why as we get going here and I share this universal truth with you. I use discontent, discontented, or discontentedness. What the Buddha is describing here is pleasant feelings, painful feelings and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. These are conditioned feelings. So when you experience happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, exhilaration, and these other pleasant feelings, there's some condition that's causing that feeling. So you got a new job. So you're so happy, excited, elated. But then when you experience losing that job, you have these painful feelings where the mind now becomes sad, anger, frustrated, irritated, annoyed, or some other painful feeling. Because your pleasant feelings were based on the condition of having a job, 
when that job no longer exists, now there's these conditioned painful feelings because that job was not permanent. So now when it changed, now the mind moved to these painful feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety, and others. These are conditioned feelings. Then there's neither painful nor pleasant. I put in here boredom, loneliness, but some people say those are kind of painful for them. And that's understandable. You can put those in the painful category if you like. But essentially the neither painful nor pleasant is like displeased or uncomfortable or unsatisfied. This is essentially like if you were sitting on a public transportation and somebody you didn't know came and sat really close to you and your bodies were touching each other, you might not say that's painful. You might not say that's pleasant. It's neither painful nor pleasant. The mind is kind of unsatisfied or uncomfortable in that situation. And these are what's called conditioned feelings because they're based on some condition. They arise, they change, and they fade away. These pleasant feelings of happiness, excitement, elation, and others, they're unsatisfying because they're impermanent. They're always changing. They're not steady and constant and fixed. They arise, they change, and they fade away. So the mind ultimately ends up unsatisfied, even when it's experiencing these conditioned happiness, excitement, elation, and others. Some people refer to this universal truth as suffering. The word that the Buddha used, or at least that's in the Pali Canon, is dukkha. This is the original language that the Buddha's teachings were captured in is the Pali language. So this word dukkha is often translated as suffering. Well, this word I don't feel is the best word for us to use as we describe the Buddhist teachings because when he described dukkha, he described pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And when you experience conditioned happiness, excitement, or elation, you wouldn't say that you were suffering, I don't think. Or if you were experiencing shyness or if you were sitting next to that stranger on the bus and their body was touching your body, you probably wouldn't say you were suffering in that situation. So that's why I feel the word discontent, discontented, or discontentedness is a much better translation of that word dukkha. And when you understand fully what the Buddha was teaching, then you can actually fully understand his teachings and move closer and closer to enlightenment. But if we use this word suffering, we're only understanding 33% of the Buddhist teachings here because when the mind is experiencing sadness, anger, frustration, or guilt, or shame, or fear, or any of these other painful feelings, you'd probably say that that feels like suffering, right? Those are really painful feelings. That's suffering. But that's only 33% of what the Buddha was sharing. So if we use the word suffering, then we're missing 66% of what he's sharing. And in order to get to enlightenment, if we're missing 66% of what he's sharing, that's a whole lot to be missing. And it would be very difficult to make your way to enlightenment, missing 66% of what he's sharing. So you'll see me use the word discontent, discontented, or discontentedness, describing this shaken up mind, this unsteady, unstable mind. Because even when the mind is experiencing conditioned happiness, excitement, elation, or thrill, euphoria, the mind is shaken up. It's uncalm, right? If you've ever experienced this extreme excitement and you maybe fell down and twisted your ankle or you tripped over something or you dropped something and broke it, you know, those 
uncalm, settling feelings that the mind experiences when it's experiencing those extreme conditioned feelings, the mind is discontent or it's discontented or experiencing discontentedness. So these are the three feelings that the Buddha described as dukkha or discontentedness. So the way that you try to verify the Buddha's teachings here with discontentedness and all of his other teachings too, even in permanence, is if you can find something, for example, that's permanent, then you've disproven the Buddha. This isn't a universal truth. Or if you have a feeling that doesn't fit into one of these three categories, then this isn't a universal truth. Because the definition of a universal truth is it's universally true and that we can independently verify this. So if you can find things that are permanent or you can find a feeling that doesn't fit into one of these categories of pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, then you've disproven the Buddha and these aren't universal truths. So that's one of the ways that you can verify the truth is by trying to disprove it through observation in the world. So if you're seeing any of that stuff, you can comment in the comment section of Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand when we get to questions and I'll help you to understand more if you feel like there's something that you found that is disproving these universal truths here. And then the third one, this universal truth of non-self. This one is part of the three universal truths. It's not so important to understand this one, to understand the Four Noble Truths. I will introduce it to you here in chapter four. And then in chapter 16, we're gonna go in a lot more detail about this universal truth because chapter 16 is about dissolving the ego. And part of the ego has to do with what we're gonna be discussing here is this universal truth of non-self. The universal truth of non-self is being shared to help you understand that there is no permanent self. Essentially what the Buddha is helping you to see is that this physical body isn't you. This isn't who you are as a person. And this mind is not who you are as a person. The unenlightened mind falsely believes, mistakenly understands, and has this misperception that this physical body is who you are as a person. And there's a certain self-image that the unenlightened mind wants to project in the world. And when you hear agreeable things related to this self-image, then you experience these conditioned, pleasant feelings. But when you hear disagreeable things related to this self-image of the physical body, then the mind is angered or frustrated or irritated. So as long as the mind mistakenly believes or has this misunderstanding or misperception that this physical body is who you are as a person, then the mind's going to continue to be shaken up. And likewise, the mind has a certain self-identity that's in the mind. And as long as the mind feels that this is who you are as a person, as long as there's this self-identity in there, like I am an American, or I am a Buddhist teacher, or I am a father, things like this. If we hear agreeable things about those, then the mind gets these conditioned pleasant feelings. All Americans are so wonderful, they're so kind, they're so polite. If you hear that, then maybe the mind's gonna get these conditioned pleasant feelings because you identify with your self-identity as being an American or an Egyptian or from Canada or from South America or something else. 
But then if you hear these disagreeable comments and somebody says something harsh and negative against any part of the self-identity that's being held onto in the mind, then you're going to feel these conditioned painful feelings of anger, sadness, frustration, and others because you're identifying with these things in the mind like I am a Buddhist teacher. So if somebody starts talking negatively about Buddhist teachers, somebody who has a self or has this personal existence view as part of those fetters that we talked about last week. If somebody has personal existence view in the mind, when you hear those disagreeable things, then if you're holding on to self-identity in the mind, then the mind's going to experience those painful feelings as a result. So the universal truth of non-self is the solution to that personal existence view in the 10 fetters that we talked about last week. The universal truth of non-self is helping you to see that this physical body nor this mind is who you are as a person. And you can independently verify this for yourself right now if you like. Because if your arm was amputated for some reason, are you less of a person because of that? right? Are you any lesser of a person because your arm is amputated? Whereas if this physical body is you, who you are as a person, then when your arm is amputated, you would be lesser of a person, but you're not. And likewise, if you had certain self-identity, say that you're a police officer or you're in the military or you have some certain job that you identify, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an IT professional, whatever it is, I'm a teacher, right? And you identify with this, when you retire and you're no longer performing the role of a teacher or a police officer or some other responsibility or role, are you lesser of a person because you now no longer perform that role? And the answer is no, of course not. But the challenge is, is that the unenlightened mind identifies with being a police officer or identifies with being in the military or identifies with being a teacher or some other role that you perform in life. And that becomes the self-identity that the mind is holding on to. So now when you retire or you're no longer able to do that job for one reason or another, the mind will experience these painful feelings where sometimes you feel like you're kind of lost in the world because you're no longer performing that job or that role that your mind is identifying with of who you are as a person. And what the Buddha is essentially sharing in the universal truth of non-self is these things aren't you. This physical body isn't you. This mind, this self-identity is not you. He says there is no you there. There is no you there. That this physical body and this mind isn't you. So essentially what you have is you have this physical body, which is skin and bones and tissue and fluids and all these different things. And then you've got this mind or this consciousness that has come together for this unique existence. And this is what we call the person. The Buddha talks about these three things individually. There's a physical body, there's a mind, and the unique combination of these two things is the person. But that's not who you are as a person. It's just this unique existence that you're now experiencing. Part of what creates this problem in the unenlightened mind is we're giving these names at birth. David, right? There's this name David that's given to us or Chrissy or Nick or Bossom or Joey or Marcy or some other name that we might have been given at birth. And this is essentially just a label to make it easy for people to identify us. Because 
grandma couldn't have said, you know, did that big bag of skin and bones and fluid come home from work today? Or is he coming home from school? Is he doing his homework? Right. Grandma couldn't say that. They had to say, you know, did David come home from school? Is David doing his homework? Because the squirrel or the ants, they don't have a name, right? They're just walking around doing their own thing. They don't have any particular name. But we have this name, and now because we have this name assigned to us, this label, we start identifying with this name, and we have this self-image, this physical body that we're trying to project in the world. And oftentimes that comes with arrogance or pride or boastfulness. And then there's this identity in the mind that we hold on to thinking that this is who we are as a person. But you can see that I am not David. This is a label that was given to me, but I'm not David. I'm not this permanent David because there's millions of Davids in the world. I'm not the only David, right? So we can see not only through those things, but also if you think about how you looked at yourself when you were a child versus early adulthood versus now, the image of who you think you are as a person has been constantly changing because there is no permanent self. So since there is no permanent self, what you've got here is a physical body and a mind that has come together for this unique existence, but they're not permanent. So there is no permanent self. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have on the three universal truths before we move into talking about the four noble truths. So the way that you can ask questions is put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can electronically raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Hello, teacher. As for uh, knowing that impermanence is a universal truth, so the effort that we should apply is to try to keep things permanent as long as we can or to accept it as a universal truth. We can understand the universal truth of impermanence, which is going to help us to understand why the mind experiences discontentedness, because that's what the Four Noble Truths is going to explain to us. It's going to explain to us why we experience discontentedness in the unenlightened state and how to eliminate it. So if you understand that things are impermanent, it doesn't mean that you don't care for them. You still will, will take care of things, but there's no need to make things more impermanent than they already are. This is one of the things that I share with my son when he's going about the house. If I observe he puts something down a little bit too hard, I will say, you know, I realize that that glass is impermanent, Bailan, but it, you don't have to make it more impermanent than it really is. Right. So I ask him to put it down very softly. So it's a matter of finding this middle way, which we're going to talk about in chapter six, where you're not holding on to things really tightly, trying to create permanence, but you're not indifferent and in going around treating things without care, without concern. You find that middle way where you can take care of this physical body, but you understand that it's impermanent. So that when you get a wrinkle or you get a gray hair or you gain weight or something like this, that it doesn't crush you and make you feel so worthless as a person when you realize that this physical body is not you, it's not who you are as a person. As for discontentedness, uh, uh, in the book, uh, Developing a Life Practice, uh, you mentioned something like uh, we should uh, protect or guard our contentedness uh, or uh, avoid discontentedness uh, coming through the six doorways. Would you be kind to elaborate more in this point? 
I will, but I would like to introduce the Four Noble Truths first because I think it'll have more meaning and we'll have more context to be able to understand it if I explain the Four Noble Truths first. Great. Thanks, teacher. Let's go to Nick. Thank you, Bonson. Thank you, teacher David. We have a question on Facebook from Shelly. She writes, so dukkha is perhaps better described as what it current. What it current? What's that, Nick? That's what it's right. I, I think she means what is current. Uh, dukkha is described by the Buddha as these three feelings. They're conditioned pleasant feelings, conditioned painful feelings, and conditioned feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And I'm going to explain this more when we talk about the Four Noble Truths here in a moment, that you understand how these conditioned feelings are being created. So the direct translation that I use for dukkha is discontentedness or discontented or discontent. That's the best way to understand it because it's these three feelings that the Buddha is talking about that the unenlightened mind experiences, which is so happiness. This is dukkha because it's conditioned. It's conditioned on some impermanent object or some impermanent experience or excitement or elation or thrill. These are all discontentedness or dukkha. Sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety. This is dukkha. Same as boredom, loneliness, melancholy, shyness, displeasure, uncomfortableness, and unsatisfactory conditions of the mind. Anytime the mind is not peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, that's dukkha. And these are all temporary feelings. And on YouTube, Tanka asks, are physical sensations discontentedness as well? Physical sensations aren't discontentedness. Just if you have an itch or something like this, the physical sensation itself isn't discontentedness. But a physical sensation that is related to like an injury or something like this, these things are just physical sensations in terms of physical pain or something like that. But there's something called bodily sensations that somebody will experience prior to discontentedness. This is related to the four foundations of mindfulness, that there's these bodily sensations. Like if the mind's about to become angry with a feeling, there's often these bodily sensations of maybe heat or sharpness or pains coming up through the body. Those bodily sensations are indicating to you that discontentedness is about to arise, but the bodily sensations themselves are not discontentedness. And then, like I mentioned, physical pains, those aren't discontentedness. They can lead to discontentedness when the mind has craving, desire, attachment, but by themselves, they're not discontentedness. Thanks, sir. No more questions for now. Okay, so what I need to share with you now in order to understand the Four Noble Truths is craving desire attachment, also called expectations or wants or holding or grasping or clinging. These words are used in common language, but the way that we use them in Buddhist teachings is somewhat different than the way that we use them in common language. So in order to understand the Four Noble Truths, you're going to need to understand what craving, desire, attachment, expectations, wants, holding, grasping, clinging is in the way that we describe it in Buddhist teachings. And this is describing what's going on in the mind. So craving, desire, attachment, this is a mental longing for something. 
with a strong eagerness. This is how the mind is pulling in the direction towards the objects of its affection. Here, you'll experience this if you've ever applied for a new job and you really wanted that new job really badly. You felt the mind pulling in that direction. That's a craving, desire, attachment. Or if you ever wanted a new pair of shoes and you just felt like, gosh, I got to have that new pair of shoes. This is a craving, desire, attachment. You feel like this thing or whatever the mind is pulling towards, you feel like that's going to ultimately satisfy the mind. And what essentially is happening, which you'll hear, is the mind is longing and yearning. It's pulling towards these objects of its affection, trying to chase after these pleasant feelings. But let's talk about the Four Noble Truths so that we can incorporate these words of craving, desire, attachment, as well as expectations and wants, because these are things that come up in the mind that we have these certain expectations or wants. This is that mental longing for something, this yearning, this eagerness to grab something and hold on to it mentally. So the Four Noble Truths is that the first noble truth here and all the others that I'm going to explain, this is the way that I explain the Four Noble Truths. In this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment, you'll see the words of the Buddha and how he explained the Four Noble Truths. This is a very rare case where I've actually summarized his words in a way that makes it really easy for you to understand the Four Noble Truths. Ultimately, you'll need to understand it in the way that the Buddha shares it. But here, this is a way to help you very readily start to understand what the Four Noble Truths are and start to establish right view. So these words here are not directly from the Buddha, but they connect to the words of the Buddha. And you'll see the words of the Buddha in chapter four because I've got them there for you. So this first noble truth is that everyone that is unenlightened will experience discontentedness. So those pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, these are conditioned feelings. This is where the mind goes up to happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria. Then it maybe comes down at some point to sadness or anger, frustration. Then there's those uncomfortable, displeased feelings of neither painful nor pleasant. This is the mind being unsteady and being shaken up. It's going up and down and up and down. If you're experiencing this and you experience these temporary feelings, then you know that the mind is unenlightened. And that's really helpful for you to understand because as you understand that the mind is unenlightened, then you know like, okay, I've got work to do. I need to improve the condition of the mind. And it's kind of no big deal at this point because you know that, all right, there's lots of unenlightened beings in the world, but now through learning and practicing the Buddhist teachings, you can train the mind and get it to enlightenment where now the mind can be refined and it can be trained to get to that peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy where it's no longer being shaken up by these discontent feelings. But in order to do that, you need to understand these other noble truths. The second noble truth is that discontentedness is caused by our own cravings, desires, attachments, because the mind wants everything to be permanent when everything in the world is impermanent. I'm going to say that a few times. I'm going to share it in some different ways, and I'm going to give you some examples so that you can start to reflect on this and start to understand it more deeply. Because remember, you're working towards that breakthrough where you can deeply understand this and start practicing it. So the cause of discontentedness 
is our cravings, desires, attachments. This is the mental longing, the yearning, the chasing after the objects of your affection, the mind pulling towards the objects of your affection. That's what's causing the mind to be discontent. And it wants things to be permanent when things are impermanent because of that universal truth of impermanence. So let me give you an example here. If you've ever been in a relationship and you had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a wife, a husband, a partner, somebody that you were really close with. Well, when that relationship ended and you guys went in different directions, the mind most likely became sad or angered or frustrated or irritated or annoyed or some other painful feeling perhaps. This is because when the mind was with this person and you in a relationship, the mind was assuming permanence. It didn't understand the universal truth of impermanence. So when the, you were together with this other person, the mind was thinking that this relationship is permanent because it lacked wisdom. It had this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality where it didn't understand this relationship was impermanent. So then when you separated, now experiencing that impermanence, the mind didn't like it because it didn't understand it. The mind was craving, it was yearning, it was longing, it was wanting this relationship to be permanent. And because of that, that's what caused the anger, the sadness, the frustration. Oftentimes in the unenlightened state, we blame other people for our anger or our sadness or other discontent feelings. We say things like, you're making me angry, or you're causing me to be frustrated, or you are annoying me. But in reality, what's truly happening, and you can see this in the Four Noble Truths, is that it's your yearning, your longing, your wanting things to be permanent that is causing the anger, the frustration, and all these other discontent feelings. So when you get that new job and you get so excited and happy and elated, that's because the mind had this yearning and this craving, this pulling towards this new job that you experience these conditioned pleasant feelings. And where the problem comes in is that now when you lose that job or you get laid off or something else happens, now the mind moves to these painful feelings where you're sad or angry or frustrated. And you might blame the people at work or you might blame your boss for laying you off or you might blame the people around you. But in reality, what's truly happening is the mind is causing itself to be discontent. So if we blame other people for our feelings and emotions, this is wrong view. But what you're working towards is you're trying to establish right view, where you deeply understand that your mind is causing itself to be discontent because of this mental longing with a strong eagerness, the craving desire attachments. Here's another simple example. If you've ever had a brand new car or you've ever had any other product that's brand new, and say you take this car and you park it at a store and you come out and you see a scratch on the car. Well, in that situation, you might get really angry. You might get frustrated. You might get irritated because you see this scratch, right? What's causing the discontentedness isn't the person who caused the scratch. That would be wrong view. If we blamed other people for causing the scratch and that's what's making us angry. What's causing the anger, the frustration in that situation is the mind is craving for this car to be permanent. We wanted that car to look permanently beautiful. And now when it gets a scratch, 
that's when we start getting angry and frustrated and irritated because we're craving this permanence, not understanding impermanence. So the Buddhist teachings here, it isn't telling you what's right or wrong in terms of, yeah, it would be wonderful if somebody never scratched our car, right? It, it would be great if people were more aware and more conscious when they walk through parking lots, they didn't allow shopping carts to bump into our car or people didn't park so close to us. These things would be wonderful if they occurred, but that would be a permanent world. And we live in this world that has impermanence as a universal truth. So when the mind misunderstands and has this lack of wisdom, thinking that things should be permanent, but yet you're living in a world that is impermanent, now your mind can be shaken up whenever you don't experience the acquiring of permanence. That when you get the objects of your affection, you get these conditioned pleasant feelings. But when you don't get the objects of your affection, you get these painful feelings and the mind is shaken up. So in that situation, when you come out and you see the car is scratched, the mind is shaken up by this impermanence rather than just to realize, oh, let me take the car to get it fixed. I have insurance. Thank goodness I have that. Right. Or, you know, in some situations when people come out, they might see that scratch and people have been murdered over this. People have wasted away their entire life. They see a scratch on their car or they see some impermanence that's happened to them and somebody else created that impermanence and people have been murdered over these kind of things and wasted their entire life and now they're sitting in jail because their mind didn't understand impermanence. And this is how you can deeply change your life through understanding the teachings of the Buddha that you can make wiser decisions in the world, understanding impermanence and choosing to make better decisions. So this second noble truth is that discontentedness is caused by our own cravings, desires, attachments, that mental longing for something. The mind wants things to be permanent when things are all impermanent. So if you've ever cried at a wedding, the same reason why you might be crying and upset at a wedding is the same reason why people cry and are upset at funerals. Right? Oftentimes we see these as different things. The reason why people cry at weddings is because they're holding on to their children or holding on to their family so tightly that they don't want to let them go and go live their life and make decisions to now be married. Even though you might have agreed with the wedding and you think the person that they're marrying is so wonderful, inside in the mind, the mind's holding on tightly to this family member and they don't want to let them go. And the same thing at funerals, when somebody dies, we oftentimes are holding on so tightly that the mind then is grieving when somebody dies. Not everybody. And we oftentimes say that this is the love that is causing the grief, but love doesn't cause painful feelings. We'll talk about this in chapter 15 when we talk about true love, love without attachment. I hope you see that true love doesn't actually cause painful feelings, but the unenlightened mind misunderstands this because of the lack of wisdom. What's causing those painful feelings at the wedding and at the funeral is the mental longing and strong eagerness, the craving, the wanting to hold on to this permanently. Now, the way that you can start to reflect on this and you can start seeing the truth for yourself, if you don't already, is look over the recent past, things that have made you angry or frustrated or irritated. Look at these things. It may even been something today or yesterday or the day before. 
before you understood the Four Noble Truths, you might have been blaming other people or the people around you for causing these discontent feelings. But now that you're starting to understand the Four Noble Truths, look at those same situations where anger, or frustration, or irritation arose in the mind and try to figure out what were your cravings, desires, attachments? What was the mental longing and strong eagerness? What was the mind holding on to? It was craving some permanence. It wanted things to be a certain way. And when you didn't get things your way, that's when the anger, frustration, or irritation arose. And if you're having trouble with that, you can ask during the question period, and you can put that into the comment section so that I can help you see how your mind is causing its own discontentedness. So this is the second noble truth, and it's very important for you to start to see this, and if you don't understand it, to gain clarity on this so that you deeply see that the mind is causing itself to be angered or frustrated or irritated and all these other discontent feelings of pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. The mind chasing after these pleasant feelings, chasing after the objects of its affection. If it gets what you want, you get happy, excited, elated. If you don't get what you want, you experience these painful feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, and others. This is what the unenlightened mind's going to do because it just lacks training. It doesn't have wisdom. It doesn't understand how to train in order to eliminate this from the mind. And this is where the third noble truth comes in. The third noble truth is the elimination of discontentedness is possible by eliminating cravings, desires, attachments. And remember, this is expectations and wants. By you training the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachments, this is how you can eliminate these discontent feelings. Now, an enlightened mind is going to have joy, right? There's going to be this permanent joy, this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. What you're getting rid of is you're getting rid of these conditioned, pleasant feelings where the mind only gets happy and excited when it gets the objects of its affection. And when it doesn't get what it wants, it experiences these painful feelings. So essentially what the unenlightened mind is doing is it's throwing a temper tantrum like a three-year-old child. You give me what I want, I'll be happy and excited. You don't give me what I want, I'm going to throw a temper tantrum and I'm going to get angry and frustrated and irritated until you give me what I want. So what you're doing is you're the adult in the room that is working to train the mind so that the mind no longer does this. And the way that you do that is you train the mind to eliminate cravings, desires, attachments, that mental longing and a strong eagerness. Rather than allowing the mind to hold on and chase after the objects of its affection, or rather than allow it just to be indifferent and lackadaisical and complacent and not care, you're bringing the mind to the middle where now it can perform optimally, where it doesn't have these strong feelings, these strong emotions. And the way that you train the mind is through the Eightfold Path. That's the fourth noble truth, is the path to eliminating discontentedness is the Eightfold Path. And this is what we're going to be discussing next week. The Eightfold Path is eight steps that the Buddha shares as a way to help you gain this understanding of this life practice where you can develop wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. This wisdom that you're gaining, you're gaining it through independently verifying the teachings 
And then through that independent verification, you start practicing the teachings, cleaning up your moral conduct. And then you're training the mind and gaining this mental discipline and controlling the mind. Because when the mind is shaken up, it's discontent. It's like a wild animal. It's just running around the forest doing whatever it wants to do. It wants to be happy. It wants to be angry. It wants to be frustrated. It wants to be shy. It wants to be bored. It wants to be lonely. It's just kind of uncontrolled. And that person that we're talking about, not the body, not the mind, but that person is the adult in the room that's training the mind through this wisdom of the Buddha in order to now control the mind and get this mental discipline where it's no longer shaken up by impermanence, by these craving desires attachments. So next class, I'm going to be going through each one of these eight steps and explaining to you this entire path. But the very first step is right view. It's understanding the Four Noble Truths. Essentially what the Buddha is explaining to you in these Four Noble Truths is he's essentially helping you to see to take responsibility for your own feelings, your own emotions. Whenever you experience any emotions, other people aren't causing those. You're causing those yourself. And when you see that more and more clearly, then you can actually solve the real problem. Because what the unrelated mind wants to do is when you experience painful feelings of anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, and all these other feelings, oftentimes what the mind would like to do is it pushes these people away or it pushes these situations away, thinking that that's going to solve the problem. But then it's only a matter of time before the next situation arises that where there's anger. And then we might try to push that person away or we push that situation away. And then ultimately you find yourself very lonely that there's very few people that you can actually reside around because you've pushed all these people out of your life thinking that that's going to solve the problem of your anger and your frustration, but it doesn't actually solve the problem because the real problem is inside your own mind. It's the craving, desire, attachment, the mental longing and strong eagerness. So when you start understanding what the real problem is, then you can start focusing on that and you can actually solve it because what the unrelated mind oftentimes wants to do is it wants to go around and control other people. It wants to kind of forcefully or pressure other people to do things our way. We feel like if the world would just do things our way, then the world would be perfect. But you can't train 7.5 billion people to do things your way. You need to train just one mind. And that's freeing right there. That if you understand that you just need to train your own mind to no longer have these craving desire attachments, eliminate those from the mind, then you can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So it's going to take you time of this gradual training to gradually practice these teachings and experience gradual progress. So that's why this program is seven months long. That's why the next program, the Pali Canon in English, is a year and a half because it takes time to gradually train the mind. You can't go from where you are today experiencing these discontent feelings to not experiencing those in a week or a month or even six months. It's going to take time for you to gradually move the mind towards this enlightened mental state. And as you are training the mind, we use breathing mindfulness meditation to train the mind to eliminate the craving desire attachments. Because what we're doing in Breathing mindfulness meditation is we're developing this awareness of mind or this mindfulness. We're developing concentration to be able to focus on the breath. And then when the mind moves off the breath, 
we're training the mind to let that go and bring the mind back to the breath. And then the mind goes over here and we train the mind to let that go and come back to the breath. So what you're training is you're not training to eliminate thoughts in breathing mindfulness meditation. You're actually training the mind to easily let them go because what the cause of discontentedness is in the second noble truth is the mind is holding on. It's yearning, it's longing, it's holding on. So breathing mindfulness meditation practiced gradually over a consistent period of time, you're training the mind to more easily let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. And you're also practicing as part of this path to enlightenment generosity. This is something that we're going to be talking about in chapter 10 of this book, helping you to understand how giving and sharing, uh, practicing generosity in your community, this is going to train the mind to let go. Because when there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, the mind becomes very selfish and we want to hold on to things very tightly. So by practicing generosity and training the mind to let go and breathing mindfulness meditation, you're also training it to let go by practicing generosity. And these are the two generalized trainings that's working on the mind to gradually and slowly loosen it up so it's not holding on to things so tightly. There's other things that you're going to need to learn as well, of course, because there's this entire eightfold path. But just to share with you some things that you've already learned in this group learning program, that breathing mindfulness meditation is working to help you eliminate craving, desire, attachment. And then if you're practicing generosity, that is also helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, training the mind to let go. And next week, we'll be discussing this Eightfold Path in detail using the words of the Buddha, going through each individual aspect of this path. But for right now, if you're starting to reflect on these Four Noble Truths and you're starting to establish right view, now in terms of practicing, what you would like to do is from now going forward, for the rest of your life, as long as you're experiencing discontentedness, anytime the mind is experiencing discontentedness, Rather than revert to blaming other people and think that other people are causing that, sit down with the mind. Have this objective discussion with the mind and look inward in the mind and try to uncover the craving, desire, attachments that are causing the discontentedness. What is the mind craving to be permanent? Rather than blaming other people because that's not going to solve the problem, because that's not what the problem is. What the challenge that an unenlightened mind is experiencing is that it has craving, desire, attachment. So if you continue to blame others, you're never going to get to the source of the problem and actually solve it. But if you sit down and have honest conversations with yourself about looking inward and reflecting and trying to uncover what are the craving, desire, attachments that's causing this discontentedness, then you can honestly see the real difficulty, the real challenge, and then you can actually address it and solve it. And if you're having problems with that as you go through the weeks and months ahead, that's where you reach out to your teacher. You put a post in the Facebook group, you ask questions in class, you send a private message, or you schedule personal guidance so that I can help you start to uncover these craving desire attachments that the mind's holding on to, the things that the mind is yearning and longing for. Because once you start identifying those and you can train the mind to let them go, now the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And it's going to take time to unravel all of that. If you think about a big trash heap, if you cleaned off the top of the trash heap, there's more trash. 
and you've got to clean that off and there's more trash and you got to keep cleaning it off and cleaning it off until you get down to solid ground. So as you progress here over the coming weeks and months, you're going to have some challenges to perhaps see clearly where your mind is causing its own discontentedness. And that's where you reach out to your teacher for help. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have. This is actually everything that I had to share with you guys today. And I would like to give you guys plenty of time to ask questions and help you to even share certain examples that you have in your life of times where your mind's gotten angry or irritated or frustrated. And if you would like to see and kind of verify and confirm whether you're observing the craving desire attachments, you can share that. You can say, okay, here's a situation that I had where I got angry. Here's what I think the craving desire attachments are. And then I can confirm that for you and help you to see it. Or if you have a certain situation and you just can't see what the craving desire attachments are and you truly feel that other people are causing you to be angry or frustrated or discontent, then share that too so that I can then help you to see more clearly that your mind is causing itself to be discontent. So the way that you do that is through Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom in the comment section, or electronically raise your hand in Zoom, and I'll help you there. So I'll turn over the rest of the class to all of you for any questions that you might have. Well, on Zoom, Janice has a question. Hi, I was wondering if you have given the definition of enlightenment. Yes, in the previous class, chapter three, that whole chapter is all about what is enlightenment. And real briefly, it's where the mind has eliminated all discontent feelings, where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It no longer experiences conditioned pleasant feelings, conditioned painful feelings, or conditioned feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And in order to get to that, an individual needs to purify the mind and eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality. These are the three poisons, or the three unwholesome roots, or the three fires. This is what's in the mind, causing it to be shaken up, causing it difficulties. And when you remove these pollutions, or these defilements, then the mind is purified, and it'll experience this permanent mental state, where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, no longer being shaken up. The mind is calm, it's steady, it's peaceful. Well, uh, according to the second noble truth, discontentedness is caused by our cravings. So uh, would you kindly help us to understand, a, uh, let's say in a situation like if someone is criticizing us, in this situation, isn't the, this person's speech that lacks wisdom is what causing us discontentedness so in that situation if somebody talks harsh or aggressive or degrades you or criticizes you what is going on is the mind is craving to always hear agreeable words you don't like these disagreeable words so it's not possible for you to permanently hear agreeable things because of the universal truth of impermanence so whether this person is right or wrong for using harsh speech or aggressive speech, of course, it would be wonderful if everybody in the world was polite, kind, friendly, or respectful. But that's permanence, 
right? There's this universal truth of impermanence that tells us that not everybody in the world is polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. But if the mind is craving, wanting that permanence, now when you hear somebody that's impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful, now the mind is shaken up. And then if you've got that self there, that self-image, that self-identity that the mind is holding on to, you feel disparaged, you feel diminished, and now you get angry because the mind's craving this permanently agreeable speech where you've got to train the mind to realize that that's not possible because of the universal truth of impermanence. So in this situation, what someone will typically do that's unenlightened and untrained is they'll push that person out of their life thinking that that person is causing them the discontentedness when in fact they're causing it themselves. We still might not choose to be friends with this person if they're constantly impolite, unkind, and friendly and disrespectful. But you've got to deeply understand what's causing your discontentedness is your own craving, desire, attachment. You can't go around the world and train every single person to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. It's not possible for you to do that. So you're going to have to train your mind to understand the universal truth of impermanence that you can't permanently hear agreeable things. It's not possible for you to do that. So it's still craving desire attachment that's causing the discontentedness. Well, in some situations, if one has been working for several hours or maybe tired or exhausted, uh, in these situations, isn't discontentedness arise quicker? I mean, more easily? If somebody is tired, and their mind is tired, then if they're not practicing these teachings and there's craving, desire, attachment in the mind, then yeah, it's going to be more easy for their mind to get shaken up. But for an enlightened being, they're not going to experience that. Even if they've had no sleep or one hour or two hours of sleep, an enlightened being isn't going to be discontent in that situation. Whereas if an unenlightened being who doesn't understand impermanence, if they have only had two hours of sleep, for example, and they wake up, they're going to be craving the sleep. They're going to be craving to have a permanent sleep schedule. And when you wake up and you've only had two hours of sleep, the mind's going to be grumpy and irritable. And now, because the mind isn't well-trained, it's unstable, any little things that are happening throughout your day, you're going to be more irritated by them because the mind is already discontent because it's craving permanent sleep schedule. It's craving a permanent amount of sleep where an enlightened being understands that they're not going to sleep for the same amount of time every single day, that that's impossible. You can't fall asleep at exactly the same time. You can't wake up at exactly the same time. You can't have exactly the same number of hours of sleep every single day because of the universal truth of impermanence. But if the mind expects that and it craves that and it wants that, if it has this mental longing and strong eagerness for that, then that's what's causing the mind to be shaken up, the craving desire attachment. That's what it is, the craving for permanence. So if one has arranged his room, his or her room, and the room is really clean, then someone came, some children came to the room and they changed where everything is put. In this situation, I think for many people, the mind experiences discontentedness. So 
what is a, a, a craving here in the situation? It's the same thing. Someone cleans their house, they set up everything in a certain way, they're craving for it to permanently look that way. So then when somebody comes over and moves something, because of that longing, that yearning, that craving for that carpet to be in exactly the same place or for your kitchen to look exactly the same way, because of that craving, desire, attachment for permanence, when these things shift and move, you don't like it. And the mind gets shaken up. It experiences discontent feelings. This is oftentimes if you're living with somebody, if you have a partner or multiple people that you're living with, you might be working to keep your house looking a certain way. And then when you leave and come back, you're expecting, you're wanting, you're craving, you're desiring, you're having this mental longing, strong eagerness for the house to still look that way when you come back. But yet when you came back, the universal truth of impermanence says that it it can't look that way. So when it doesn't look that way, then the mind's going to experience this discontentedness as a result because the craving, the desire, the yearning, the longing, the wanting things to be permanent, that's what's actually causing the mind to be shaken up. Not because people have moved a glass or moved a carpet or something like that. That's not what's causing the mind to be shaken up. The lack of wisdom where an individual doesn't understand this universal truth of impermanence. So therefore, this craving, this desire, this yearning, this longing, this craving for permanence, where the mind lacks the wisdom to understand the universal truth of impermanence, that's what's actually causing the mind to be shaken up and experiencing those painful feelings in that situation. Thanks, sir. That's good to Thank you, Bossom. Thank you, Teacher David. Um, going back to Bossom's first example of a person speaking harshly to you or just using wrong speech, unwholesome speech. <clears throat> so if we're to understand this correctly, that person doesn't need to change. We, we just need to change the way we look at it with right view and work on our own mind. Is, is that what we're supposed to understand here, sir? In terms of what's causing your discontentedness, Absolutely. What's causing your discontentedness is your craving, desire, attachment for permanence, wanting people to permanently be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. It would be advisable for this other person to improve their conduct, but you can't control other people. You can't force other people to do any particular thing. The problem that the unenlightened mind is experiencing there is not that this other person is being harsh or aggressive because people are going to be that way in your life. There's going to be certain situations where people are rude or they're harsh or they're impolite. What's causing the mind to be shaken up is your craving, desire, attachment. So that's what you need to work on. This person who's choosing to practice unwholesome speech Again, it would be advisable for them, but you can't influence that necessarily, particularly if it's a stranger or someone at work or something like that. You can't control other people to improve their conduct, but you can train your own mind so that you're not craving this permanence. So when somebody actually speaks harsh and aggressive, if you don't have craving desire there, if you've deeply trained your mind, it won't be shaken up when somebody speaks to you in impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful ways. And also, Teacher David, if we choose not to um, associate with that person or or just maybe have limited conversations, say um, it's this person that speaks harshly to you or that tends to speak harshly in this way, 
to others. Um, this is a person that we like still have um, uh, contact with, uh, for example, an ex-spouse or someone in the work office. So if we're trying to protect our own contentedness um, and we still have to have some contact with these people, I guess what would be the best way to do it? Um, not have aversion to these people and uh, when we are encountering them, just to remain polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. Yeah, if people are being disrespectful to you, particularly people that are close to you, this is based on decisions that you've made in the past. So now, like, let's just say you could snap your fingers, which you can't, but let's just say you could snap your fingers and change your moral conduct in an instant. Those people who are in your life you made decisions to be in their life. You spoke to them in unwholesome ways in the past. And now that you've chosen to now speak in wholesome ways, they're not going to immediately change the way that they are. They may not ever change the way that they are. So in that situation where your mind's becoming discontent, it's wise to understand why your mind's becoming discontent, that you're causing it yourself. And when your mind is discontent, it's the wrong time to be speaking to other people. You should really delay or postpone any conversations while your mind's angry or frustrated, it's going to come out in your intention, speech, and action. So it's better to just delay or postpone any kind of contact while your mind is in that condition, whether it's a coworker or ex-spouse or what have you. But in doing so, be sure that you understand that you're causing the discontentedness. And then when you've cleared that out of your mind, you can always establish contact again and finish the conversation or, or what have you. There's going to be situations in your life where there's certain relationships that need to be ongoing and need to persist. And you might decide that you're going to work through that relationship and try to resolve it as best you can and try to get it on solid footing. But then there may be other relationships in your life that where people are impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful. You understand you're causing the discontentedness yourself as you're experiencing discontentedness, but you still might choose to move on from that relationship and no longer take part in that relationship anymore. So you don't have to necessarily just grin and bear it when people are being disrespectful. But if you're going to choose to move on in a relationship, be sure you practice right view and you understand what's causing the discontentedness there is your own craving, desire, attachments. And then you might choose to move on and no longer associate with that person, but you still need to work on your craving, desire, attachments. In situations where you can do that, like an ex-spouse where you have children with, you're going to still need to have contact with them. What you try to do is you try to still understand any kind of discontentedness is being caused by your own craving, desire, attachments. And then even though they're speaking impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful, you choose to practice being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. Because if someone's being disrespectful to you and you're disrespectful back, this just continues the disrespect. It's like if somebody takes a rubber ball and they bounce it and it bounces around the room and it loses its energy. If you pick up the rubber ball and now you throw it and then it bounces around the room and then they pick it up and they bounce it around the room, this ball is just going to keep bouncing around the room. But if somebody picks up the ball and they throw it and it bounces around the room, it loses its energy and you just watch it roll into the corner and you never pick up the ball. 
then eventually that ball has lost its energy and it's not going to be bouncing around the room anymore. So when someone's speaking in unkind ways or unwholesome ways to you, you're not interested in returning that back because it's just going to keep this going back and forth, back and forth, this ball bouncing around the room. So the way that you clean up your relationships is that you start practicing the Eightfold Path. And since we're talking about speech here, it's right speech. And what I'm going to share with you guys next week is what right speech is. But you need to have right view in order to build up all your other steps of the Eightfold Path because you have to understand that the true problem is your own mind. And that's what right view is about because once you understand that you need to train your own mind, then you can build right intention, right speech, and all these others on top of that. But if you walked around thinking that everybody else was the problem, then when I start teaching you how to have right speech, you wouldn't understand, well, why am I learning right speech? That's the person who's speaking unwholesome. Why don't you teach them? Well, they haven't chose to learn. That's why I'm not teaching them. But in order for you to get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, you've got to improve the condition of your mind through improving your practice, which builds your wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline. And the more that you put out wholesome speech, that's what's going to come back to you. But it's going to take a lot of time for you to get to that. And that's what the gradual training, the gradual practice, and the gradual progress is all about. Thank you, Teacher David. You're welcome. And if you'd be so kind, I'd like to get a check on learning here because I think this is important to highlight. And, and I didn't always think this way. Um, in reference to the Four Noble Truths, the cause of all discontentedness is always going to be some sort of craving, desire, attachment. For example, any time that we notice the mind is upset or shaken up or not peaceful or not calm, um, it always comes back to a craving, desire, attachment, some sort of clinging or holding on, a want, or expecting things to be a certain way or having an expectation not met. Is that true? Yes, that's 100% true. That's what the Four Noble Truths is explaining, is that any amount of discontentedness, whether it's very, very little, just kind of an icky feeling in the mind, just a little tiny icky feeling, all the way up to intense rage, or if we look at the pleasant feelings, just you know, kind of like, you know, oh, I'm so happy that I see this person. I'm so happy. Or this, ex, you know, exhilaration, this euphoric condition. Any of those discontent feelings are always being caused by craving, desire, attachment. The Buddha says it in one of his teachings. He says, all discontentedness that occurred in the past is all from craving, desire, attachment. Any discontentedness that's going to occur in the future is craving, desire, attachment. Any discontentedness that's being experience right now is craving desire attachment. It's this mental longing and strong eagerness. And see, this is the beauty in the Four Noble Truths and in the Buddhist teachings. If you understand that you're causing all your discontentedness and you accept responsibility for that and you start seeing it clearer and clearer, by you accepting responsibility for your discontentedness, that's why you can solve it. That's why you can get to the peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. You don't need the world to be in a perfect condition. 
in order to get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. This is where people have misunderstanding or unknowing of true reality. They think they have to go around and fix everybody else in order to get to their peacefulness. But if you understand that you're causing your own discontentedness through craving, desire, attachment, and you accept that responsibility and you see that, essentially the accountability, then through that, now you're focused on the real problem, which is your own mind. And that's why you can train your mind to get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy without dependency of what other people are doing. So when the Buddha got to enlightenment and his mind was peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, he didn't go around trying to change other people. He was on his own training his mind and he got to that peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy without having to train other people. That's why he did the work on his own mind first. And then once he did the work on his own mind first, then he made himself available for other people to learn that same mental state. And it was only people who chose to learn with him. He didn't force people, pressure people, guilt or shame or fear people into it. It's people who came to learn with him. And once they came to learn with him, then he was able to guide them to enlightenment as well, unattached to what other people are doing. So when we accept responsibility for the conditions of our own mind and these feelings that we are experiencing, now you can take direct action to solve these problems in the mind by training the mind, you purify it and get rid of this pollution. And now the mind can move into this enlightened mental state where it's permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Thank you, Teacher David. And I think that's a major takeaway from today's class to understanding that it's us we need to work on. Exactly. It's all too often that we try to go into the world and change other people. You know, we th if we have wrong view, we blame other people. We try to pressure them or coerce them or force them to do things our way. And this causes difficulties and harshness in our relationships. It sabotages our relationships. We have these difficulties because other people don't feel free to make their own free will decisions because with wrong view, you're trying to convince others and pressure others to do things your way. And they don't feel comfortable to reside with you and in a relationship with you because you're telling them what to do. But instead, if you focus on your own mind and realize other people are making their own decisions, then you can now move the mind to this enlightened mental state. The only time I would say anything differently is if you have young kids or young children, you're in a position where you're guiding them to learn and practice in order to make wise decisions. But you shouldn't be trying to force them or control them to do things your way, but instead you should be guiding them to understand these natural laws of existence so that now they choose to make wise decisions on their own. And this is a topic that I'm going to be covering in the retreat in the USA is helping you to understand if you have young children, how to guide them on the path to enlightenment. But in terms of your contentedness, even with your young children, you're not going to get to peacefulness by training your children. You have to train your own mind. But part of your responsibility as a parent is to guide your children. But your peacefulness isn't going to come through that. Your peacefulness, this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy is going to come through training your own mind. Thank you, Teacher David. Um, just one more thing <clears throat> before I get to a question on YouTube. So if we're the cause of our own discontentedness, uh, and the way to eliminate that is to reflect 
identify what our craving desire attachment was in that particular situation. And then we are to apply the steps of the eightfold path then and now and in the future to prevent it from arising again. Yes, exactly. So the reason why the mind continues to experience discontentedness is this craving desire attachment. But the reason why the craving desire attachment exists is because the mind has this ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. We don't understand what we don't understand in the unenlightened state. And because we lack wisdom, we go around and blame everyone else for our problems and what we're experiencing in life. So that's why the craving desire attachment persists. So when you independently verify these teachings and you see the wisdom in them and you start practicing them, now you're antidoting that ignorance with wisdom. And now this wisdom, you start learning how to eliminate craving desire attachments and you start learning how to eliminate anger and hatred and ill will. And by eliminating all three of these craving, anger and ignorance, the unknowing of true reality, that's what's ultimately going to bring the mind into the enlightened mental state. But here in the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha is really shrinking down his teachings and helping you see in a very short time frame, just four simple statements. What is the cause of discontentedness and how to eliminate it? And when you understand this, and even if you're just starting to understand it, but you keep gaining more clarity on it, the more wisdom you cultivate around this, now you use that wisdom to antidote and fix the craving. And that's what this program is about, is helping you to understand how to eliminate all three of these poisons. But you need the wisdom. That's why belief doesn't work. If you just believe things, you can't get to wisdom. You need the wisdom to understand how to train the mind and getting rid of that craving desire attachment that's what's going to ultimately fix the mind and allow you to now have this discipline and control of the mind all right venerable sir thank you makes sense you're welcome now we have a question on youtube from sa and they ask how to view the ar rightful slaughter of children I think uh, it's in reference to the recent event in Texas. Yeah, when I see that, what I see is I see craving, right? Yearning, longing, mental eagerness from the person who did the shooting. There's anger, hatred, ill will, right? And then there's this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality. That's what's causing all of these difficulties that we see in the world is craving, anger, and ignorance. It's the human mind. It's the decisions in the mind that are causing these problems in the world. Whether it's a mass shooting, whether it's any other things, you can look all throughout the world, you know, corruption, drug abuse. I could just go on and on and on with all the different difficulties that we're creating in the world. It's all coming from craving, anger, and ignorance because if the mind is polluted, with these pollutions and it's gonna make unwise decisions. That's essentially what the antidote to craving anger and ignorance is, is to practice generosity where we're freely giving and sharing. Practice loving kindness where we have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And we practice wisdom. 
So the three unwholesome roots are craving, anger, and ignorance. These are the pollutions of mind. The three wholesome roots are generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. But you've got to cultivate these in the mind through this path to enlightenment. And when you cultivate those, then someone's making decisions through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And a person who's doing a mass shooting, they're not practicing generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. They're practicing craving, anger, and ignorance. And that's why these things occur. So it's unfortunate that these things occur in our world, but it's because of our lack of wisdom that the human race, the humanity, these teachings aren't pervasive in our communities. Particularly in the U.S., these teachings aren't there very much. And this is where we see a lot of difficulties in terms of crime and difficulties happening in in the USA. And the more that these teachings come into the world and people decide to embrace them and learn them and train their minds and not just themselves, but then as they start having children, they're going to definitely share them with their children because once you learn the truth and you understand the truth and you're practicing the truth, you know what your mind used to experience with anger. And then you get to this enlightened mental state where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. And you start sharing this with your children or people who are asking for, for help and people are coming to these retreats and coming to these classes. The more that people learn these, then gradually as craving, anger, and ignorance is eradicated from the human mind, then the world will gradually become a more peaceful place to exist. But you don't have to wait for that to occur. You can't wait for that to occur. Even if everyone else around you was peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, if you had craving, anger, and ignorance in your mind, you're still going to be discontent. So these teachings can gradually move into the world and we'll see a diminishing of these difficulties that the world experiences, but you've got to be able to focus on your practice and understand that don't crave for things to be a certain way in the world, right? This is why people are so shaken up right now with this mass shooting because the mind is craving for things to be a certain way. It would be wonderful if there weren't any mass shootings. You know, here in Thailand, we don't really have this kind of thing. Kids don't go to school in fear of being killed at school. But even if I lived in the U.S. and I'm coming to the U.S. here soon, you have to be sure you function without craving and wanting things to be a certain way because there's this universal truth of impermanence that not everybody in the world views children and views schools and views killing in the same way. There's people that have craving, anger, and ignorance in their mind and they do these things. And you've got to let go of wanting things to be a certain way in the world work on your own practice, training your own mind, and then you can get to a point where you're not craving for things to be a certain way in the world, but you're also not indifferent either. That would be the other side. You can practice this middle way where there's loving kindness and compassion. Loving kindness is this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. Remember, genuine interest, not that you're trying to force or control or wanting that but you have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. Compassion is a concern for the misfortune of others. You can practice being concerned for others, but when you worry, the worried mind is shaken up. 
right? So you would like to practice this concern. This is the middle way. But as long as you crave for things to be a certain way, the mind's going to be discontent. And if you're indifferent and you could care less how people are treated in the world, then your mind's going to also be discontent there too. So you work on cultivating these healthy mental states that we're going to talk about in chapter 14 of this book and of this program. Two of those are called loving kindness and compassion, a genuine interest in seeing beings be well and a concern for the misfortune of others. But you've got to let go of the world wanting it to be a certain way and realize that it's just the way that it is because people are functioning through craving, anger, and ignorance, or they're functioning through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And your goal would be to train your mind so that you have wisdom, you have moral conduct, you have mental discipline, and you're practicing generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And that's what this path is going to help you do. But what other people do, they're going to experience the results of those decisions, right? The person who ended up killing, they got killed, right? This is their gamma, cause and effect. Whatever you put out, it's going to come back to you. So that's why when we kill, other people are going to be interested in killing us. And that's what happened in this event down in Texas. And when we put out generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, that's what comes back to us. It's going to be wholesome outcomes. But when we practice craving, anger, and ignorance, or the unknowing of true reality, this is going to produce unwholesome results in the world. So as long as your mind's tainted or polluted, even with a small amount of craving, anger, and ignorance, maybe not to the level of what the shooter had, but even if your mind has a little bit of craving, anger, and ignorance, it's going to be making decisions that are tainted or polluted. And that's why certain decisions that you make don't turn out the way that you thought. There's these unwholesome results because your decisions are tainted with craving, anger, and ignorance. So you would like to let go of the world and train your mind to be purified and function through the three wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. Well, a situation that happened uh, to me from six, seven hours, and uh, I need your help to uh, uh, understand more about what is the craving. Uh, I went to a school, and there I met a teacher whom I meet for the first time. Uh, we started a discussion after about uh, 10 minutes. He started advising me, telling me what I should do as a teacher with the students at school. At that moment, I experienced some uh, discontentedness. So the question is, he's doing something good. <laughs> he's trying to help. He's trying to provide or share some advice. So why the mind experience in these situations some discontentedness? So there can be conceit or arrogance or ego there, thinking that other people shouldn't tell you what to do. In the situation, the way that would an enlightened being would practice is an enlightened being wouldn't tell somebody else what to do. They would only share advice and share guidance if somebody's asking them for their guidance. But there's this other teacher isn't practicing these teachings, of course. So they're maybe trying to tell you what to do because of their own arrogance, their own pride. They're trying to tell you what to do. They're trying to control or force or pressure you to do things their way. In your mind in that situation also has conceit and arrogance. You don't want to hear this. You know, you want to push it away. You want to just do what you want to do without other people telling you what to do. So there's ways to practice here to ensure that the mind doesn't get 
discontent here. You're craving for people to never tell you what to do. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to sit there and listen to them. It doesn't mean they're right to tell you what to do, but your mind becoming discontent is you're craving for people to not tell you what to do. And you're going to be in situations, I was just in one yesterday, where somebody was telling me what to do about something. And my response to them was, oh, do you have a question for me? And they're like, no, 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 I just want to tell you this. And I was like, oh, you're telling me what to do. Okay, I understand. Thank you for your kindness. I appreciate your generosity in attempting to share something with me. But at the same time, I was helping to point out to them that they were trying to tell me what to do. But I did it in a very kind and polite way. And this is in a learning environment and the person was a student. So in an environment where it wasn't a student, I probably would have handled it differently. And there's multiple different ways to handle it. But what you don't want to do is you're interested in controlling the mind and not allowing the craving to not be told what to do to arise discontentedness. Because if your own ego comes out, then that's where your intention, speech, and actions can be tainted with this craving, anger, and ignorance. And now you might damage a relationship. So what you should always be thinking about is your goal is to live harmoniously with all beings. And where somebody is trying to pressure you or force you or tell you what to do, this is because of their craving, because of their ignorance or unknowing of true reality. They're lacking the wisdom to understand how to practice. And in this situation, you can just practice loving kindness and compassion where maybe you just smile, you just listen to them, they get it all out and you just smile, you just listen to them. And then when they're done, you just move on. You just maybe say nothing at all. You just remain quiet. So in your situation, your mind was craving to not be told what to do. You want to permanently do things your way. And you felt that this was a disagreeable speech that was coming to you. You only wanted to hear agreeable speech. And this is most likely because of the conceit that's in there, that arrogance or that pride, not wanting to be told what to do. Thanks, teacher. You're welcome. Well, on Zoom, Janice asks, Yes, but I'm not craving to work, but I have to in order to be able to live. How can you avoid discontentedness over things you cannot avoid? If someone is tortured, is it possible to remain unaffected of discontentedness? If someone is what? Tortured. Tortured? I'm not understanding that word. Okay, should I spell it? Sure. <laughs> Okay, it's T-O-R-T-U-R-E-D. Tutored. Is it tutored? Uh, I think, yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you're working in a livelihood or an occupation that you don't like and, and you're not enjoying the work, that's part of what we're going to talk about next week in Right Livelihood. That if you're feeling it hard to go to work and you're discontent because of the type of job you have, you're not in the right livelihood and your livelihood isn't purified and that's the difficulty that you're experiencing there. There's a certain craving that you have and it's causing discontentedness. You can get to a point where you've trained your mind and you've purified all the steps of the Eightfold Path where you'll never experience discontentedness. You can get to the point where your mind is unaffected. But as I said earlier, that's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen in a month. 
It's not going to happen in a year, most likely. It's going to take time. And this is the dedication, the determination, and the diligence that it takes. So some people look at the path to enlightenment as a real struggle because there's challenges along the way. And sure, there's going to be struggles. But in those struggles, that's where the mind is cultivating the most wisdom. And when you gain the wisdom of what you're experiencing in that struggle, now you can overcome that struggle, you can overcome that obstacle. And then by gaining that wisdom, that's what's going to ensure that it doesn't get repeated. Whereas if we run away from the struggle, then it's just going to repeat and we're going to keep experiencing the same thing over and over. So the Buddha talks about don't shrink back from the struggle. In other words, don't run away from the struggle. I encourage people to turn around and walk towards the struggle because if you're struggling with your livelihood or struggling in other parts of your life, there's certain wisdom that you don't have and you need that wisdom in order to overcome those obstacles. And it sounds like that the livelihood or the job that you're performing isn't one that you feel good about. And that's something that you need to learn of right livelihood and purify your livelihood so that you're no longer feeling disgruntled or discontent just about going to work. So we all need to do something in society in order to contribute and conduct our life and to sustain our life, to acquire the basic necessities to sustain life. But we have a choice. We have different choices about the types of jobs and occupations that we choose. But oftentimes we choose certain occupations based on craving and based on a lack of wisdom or this ignorance or unknowing of true reality. So when you arise this wisdom that the Buddha shares about how to practice right livelihood and you ensure that you're choosing a livelihood that isn't based in craving, now you can make choices about what livelihood you choose and now you can be more peaceful and content and going to work and work can get to the point where you just feel like you're not even working it can just be completely joyful for you and it you're not there yet and it's going to take you time to build that wisdom and then to practice it so that you can get to a better place in your life practice well let's go back to nick thank you boston teacher david if if someone is tortured is it possible to remain unaffected of discontentedness? If somebody is being tortured and their mind is enlightened, they will experience the physical pain, but they won't experience the mental anguish that goes along with it. These are two different aspects of what's related to what you're describing, which is uh, torturing and physical pain. There's physical pain that Every being is going to experience, even enlightened beings, will experience a certain amount of physical pain. But in the unenlightened state, when we experience physical pain, there's oftentimes this mental anguish that goes along with it. Because the only thing that an unenlightened being really knows how to do that's untrained is to grasp and crave and want these pleasant feelings, not understanding the impermanent condition of the body. But an enlightened being, their mind would be completely eradicated craving, anger, and ignorance. And if they were being tortured, which I don't think they would be, but if they were being tortured, the physical pain that they're experiencing, they know that it's impermanent. They would be experiencing the physical pain, but they wouldn't experience the mental anguish or the discontentedness that is oftentimes associated with physical pain for an unenlightened and untrained mind. Well, when you define the craving, desire, attachment, you mentioned also expectations. So does do expectations also involve some, some kind of craving? Yes. So let me just use an example. Let's just say 
I had an expectation for my son to take out the trash every Friday. And this is my expectation. I had this expectation that my son's going to take the trash out every Friday. Well, that's a craving desire attachment because it's not possible for him to take the trash out every Friday because of impermanence. Now, of course, I will teach him. I will guide him. I would train him. I would try to encourage him to remember to take the trash out every Friday. But the universal truth of impermanence tells us that it's not possible for him to take it out every Friday. Um, so if we have this expectation, this want, this yearning, this longing, when you wake up on Saturday and you see the trash hasn't been taken out, that's where the anger arises. That's where the frustration or the irritation. And now we function in unskillful ways. We go and yell or holler or make complications with our son because he didn't take out the trash um, or our daughter or our husband or our wife or whoever's supposed to do some chore around the house. There's this unskillful conduct through our speech and actions that happen and now we sabotage our relationships. When if we just realized in permanence that we're all working towards the goal of living harmoniously and peacefully with each other, then maybe certain people have certain roles that they fulfill in the household. And yeah, maybe my son is supposed to take out the trash every Friday, but then I can be understanding and I can be patient when I see that he's forgotten. And then I can remind him and I can guide him. Yelling and hollering at him isn't going to fix the problem. That's just going to cause him to have fear. And that's going to cause him to be angry even more because now his dad's yelling at him. And if he's unenlightened, then he's hearing this anger. And now his mind gets conditioned to be very angry. And then because I'm yelling and hollering and being angry at my son, that's what I'm teaching him, that when you disagree with something, yell and holler. So now as he ages and he sees something that I'm doing that he disagrees with, he's going to yell and holler at me because I'm putting that out. That's what I'm teaching him. That's what's going to come back to me. But in this situation, if you can function wisely with skillful conduct and you understand the universal truth of impermanence, when you see that your child or your partner or somebody hasn't taken out the trash, then you can just maybe remind them and maybe you can take it out yourself and maybe people can work together and solve the, the challenge and figure out a way to live harmoniously with each other. See, uh, enlightened being, they've solved the biggest problem in, that they've been experiencing for so many lives. They've experienced this discontentedness for so many lives that they've solved that problem of discontentedness through this wisdom. So now they're going to be a really good problem solver. So when they see that their son hasn't taken out the trash or their daughter or their partner or somebody else, they're going to be able to have a conversation, a calm conversation. And they're going to be able to figure out what happened and then make some solutions in order to resolve this. But they're going to do it with a calm mind rather than the aggression and the bitterness that is going to be there if there's craving, desire, attachment, if there's this expectation or this wanting somebody to do something, then you can't function skillfully because you have this craving, yearning, and longing to do something. You have this expectation. So instead, you should practice where you have this goal, you have this objective, you have this interest to train your child or to help other people in your home to do certain chores. And you guys all work in that direction, but you understand with impermanence that it's impossible for things to always be done exactly the same way all the time. And then you can reside peaceful and you can have peaceful discussions that work towards resolving problems rather than creating them 
with aggression and hostility and bitterness? Well, so now after learning and reflecting uh, on these four noble truths, how to practice them in life? What I would do is what I shared, which is from this point forward, anytime the mind is discontent, that instead of you blaming other people and thinking that other people are the problem, that instead you start looking at your own craving, desire, attachments, that whenever you see discontentedness, you might not see it right away, particularly if this is the first time you've ever heard the Four Noble Truths, you're not going to be able to instantly figure out what your craving, desire, attachments are. Like, Bossom, you've been learning, I think, for over two years, and you just asked me a question to help you figure out what is a certain craving, desire, attachment. Certain ones you can probably figure out on your own because you've been learning long enough, but now, even two years, two and a half years into this, there's occasional ones that you need help with and you need to uncover that. So as best you can, start looking inward to discover your own craving, desire, attachments. And then where you need help, you reach out to your teacher for help. Just like you need to learn the skill of meditation and how to meditate, you also need to learn the skill of how to identify your own craving, desire, attachments. This is chapter 12, I believe, where I'm going to be teaching you how to identify your own craving, desire, attachments. But you can start doing that now, is that you can start looking inward whenever the mind is discontent. And what is the mind longing for? What is it yearning for? What does it want? And wherever you're having difficulties with that, you just reach out to your teacher for help. Because your teacher in the Buddhist uh, teachings, they're like a life coach. They're somebody who's here to guide you and encourage you and provide you the support. We won't make decisions for you. We won't tell you what to do. It's your practice. It's your own independent journey. But you're going to need support from a teacher. And that's why I have all these different ways for you to learn online and all the different resources are available to you at no cost. You can ask questions in the Facebook group, questions in the online classes. You can send a private message. You can schedule a personal discussion through Zoom where we can meet one-on-one. If you're learning in person in any of the in-person classes that I teach, you can ask questions in person or you can come to class early or you can stay a little bit later and get help because you're going to need help. Uh, You can't just read a book or sit in a class and get to enlightenment. You're going to have to be actively involved with the teachings and really seek out support and seek guidance. So that's why everything I do, I do at no cost so that there's no barriers for people, that they feel like they can reach out and get help with all of these things without having any expectations of the students. So I have no expectations of the students, but you're going to need to reach out and get help. So anytime your mind is discontent, just look inward and try to figure out what that is. And if you're having difficulties figuring it out, that's where you reach out to get help. And I'm here to support you and help you. Well, a question from Janice. Uh, There is this Zen quote, before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. From that, what I understand is that you cannot avoid to chop wood and carry water. So maybe that is impermanence in the world. Do you agree? The way that I uh, look at that quote is basically don't have arrogance, don't have pride that you're getting to enlightenment because an enlightened being isn't going to have arrogance and pride. So 
if there's arrogance or pride in the mind, like, okay, before enlightenment, I chopped wood and I carried water, but now I'm enlightened. I don't have to do those things. I'm special. That would be arrogance and pride. An enlightened being doesn't have arrogance and pride. So if somebody thinks that they shouldn't chop wood and carry water after enlightenment, then there's still pride and conceit and arrogance there. The mind's not enlightened. So essentially what this is sharing is that you're still going to do all the daily tasks in life. So before enlightenment, you're going to be washing dishes. After enlightenment, you're still going to be washing dishes. But before enlightenment, if you're washing dishes and your mind's angry and you're frustrated, why do I have to wash all these dishes? Who put all these dirty dishes in the sink? Ah, oh, I just hate washing dishes. That's before enlightenment. After enlightenment, wow, there's these dishes. Let me clean them up. Okay, we're going to clean up all these dishes. There we go. We got all these clean dishes now, right? There's not going to be that hostility, that complaining, that negativity about any task that you're doing. So whether it's chopping wood and carrying water or washing dishes or cleaning a toilet or any of these other things, an enlightened being can be satisfied with what is. Their mind is just always satisfied. There's no discontentedness. There's no disgruntledness. There's no bad mood. That's one of the ways to simply think about enlightenment is if you experience bad mood sometimes, you know that you're unenlightened. An enlightened being doesn't even experience a bad mood. Um, an enlightened being has purified all the conditions that are causing that bad mood. They've purified their mind so they can be perfectly content and peaceful carrying water, chopping wood, washing dishes, washing clothes, cleaning toilets. They can do anything and everything because they know it's impermanent. They just need to clean the toilet and it's over in five, 10 minutes. Why complain about it? Why, why get angry about it, right? So that's what it means to me when it says chop wood and carry water before enlightenment and after enlightenment. Thanks, sir. That's all for today. All right. Well, I will just thank all of you guys for joining once again. Thank you for your dedication and diligence to learning these teachings. You know, being in these classes, as I've mentioned before, they're about two hours long. Sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're a little bit longer, but this actually helps you to build your concentration. It helps you to build your patience. It helps you to build awareness of mind to be able to focus for this length of time because that's part of the path to enlightenment is building concentration and focus and patience among other qualities of mind. All too often nowadays, we tend to be involved in these short little periods, you know, a three minute YouTube video or a seven minute YouTube video, and we can only really hold our concentration for that period of time. But if you train your mind to enlightenment, you can stay focused, you can stay concentrated, you can have this deep memory and this clarity of mind for extended periods of time. And then even when you're at the end of that, you don't feel tired at all. This is why the Buddha would have these really long teaching sessions. And he would say, you know, the teaching should be good at the beginning, good in the middle and good at the end, right? Instead of like starting off good and then kind of fading away or kind of starting off bad and then kind of building up towards the end. When we give these discourses and we share these talks, a Buddhist teacher should have really good, interesting things to say at the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. They should be able to sustain their energy all the way across through an entire discourse, even if it's two, three, four, five, six hours, or five days, like we're gonna have this retreat in the USA. So you being able to focus in these classes and stay concentrated 
yes, you're learning wisdom in these classes, but it's also helping to train your mind. So these classes are really good. And even if you're listening on the replay, like the podcast or YouTube or any of the videos, this is also really helpful for you to be able to watch that. And you might not be able to do it at the beginning for two hours. You might have to go for 30 minutes or an hour and press pause, walk away for a while, and then come back a few hours or a few days later. That's okay. You're building up to being able to maintain your focus, your concentration, and having the patience to do so. So I'd like to just thank you for your determination, your dedication, and your diligence to learning and practicing these teachings. Next Sunday, we're going to be in chapter five of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. So you can read that chapter before and or after class. I'm going to be going through step by step, explaining to you the eightfold path. This is the path to enlightenment. And it uses the words of the Buddha. You can download this book for free by going to buddhadailywisdom.com. You can also take that file and go print it if you like, or you can order printed versions on Amazon if you prefer a printed version or a Kindle version or something like that. But you'll need these books and these resources in addition to these classes, and all this stuff is made available to you at no cost. This Wednesday in our group learning program, we're going to be in our fourth session of our four-part series on loving-kindness meditation. That'll be the last class of loving-kindness meditation before we move into a four-part series on Buddhist chanting. I'm going to teach you guys how to do chanting and the reasons why to do chanting. It's not prayer. It's not worship or anything like that. It's actually helping you to get better benefits in training the mind and better benefits in your actual meditation. And then after the chanting four-part series, we're going to be rotating one week breathing mindfulness, one week loving kindness, one week breathing mindfulness, one week loving kindness to build up your practice so that you're able to do the meditations, but also you're learning all these other teachings on Sunday and through your reading to be able to give you that wisdom that you need about the entire path to enlightenment. So today is just helping you to understand the Four Noble Truths, including those three universal truths. And those are in chapter four. So if you haven't read that, you would like to read that chapter because there's more content that you can glean through reading and also through these classes together. They're working together to help you to build up your wisdom and understanding of the Buddhist teachings. So thank you again for joining class. If there's anything I can do to help you, feel free to reach out and ask for guidance. I'm here to support you. We'll see you in a future class. Have a very lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.